Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This week is Gamble Aware Week, so we wanted to focus one whole episode on exactly that. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started, then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. lost any money on a bet Hamish yes plenty of times oh really how did it feel a little bit like flushing money down the toilet yes but I bet you felt excited when you put the bet on didn't you that's it really excited because what I do is I start to daydream about what I would do with the winnings yeah it's actually my favorite thing to do is always like buy a lottery ticket and then imagine being a multi-millionaire but even with small bets and then as soon as you lose you want to do it straight away to win that money back for me two things are in my favor First thing, I'm poor. Second thing, I'm very tight. So I never actually lost huge amounts of money. But it does feel kind of dangerous, sort of shaky ground, especially after a few drinks. So let's take that feeling up a notch or two. Imagine it wasn't just a fiver or once a year on the Grand National or 10 quid on the results of a Man U game. Imagine it was all your money on payday or the money for your kids for Christmas presents or your house. Not so fun now, is it? Gosh, Vic, we could be talking about alcohol here. It starts off just a bit of fun, little tipple at a bar, a cheeky flush on the horses, and it leads to people losing everything. It seems alcohol and gambling are like old mates, eh, Vic? 
Yeah, evil twins more like. Yet these two addictions are very much entwined, Hamish. Gambling is often fueled by alcohol addiction and vice versa. People use booze to celebrate a win, console a loss, and numb out the fact that they might have a problem. Again, the short-term high dissolving the long-term woe. Or a drinker might find themselves standing at a pokey machine after one too many pints because, well, everyone else is doing it, so why not? I guess it's just another way to escape reality and perhaps trauma and get a buzz. Are we going long-term woe? We're we going long-term low. Long-term woe. I don't know if that was a pun or not. Yeah. So never know with you. You're never far from a pun. I don't know never far from a pun, me. <laughs> Even the advertising techniques used to get us addicted are alike. All I see is gambling and booze ads on sports events. It's represented as a fun thing that mates do together, but then it tips over into an issue. Blame is always dumped on the user. A blame that we are here to tell you is not exactly theirs to bear. This is your problem now, mate. Your silly fault because you didn't know when to quit. That seems to be the sentiment. We point the finger at the out-of-control gambler because they didn't gamble, like the helpful government tagline has suggested. This causes deep-rooted shame, which leads to a vicious circle of addiction. And you've guessed it, shame and guilt are what stop people from getting help. The relationship between these two normalised, socially acceptable habits really does run skin deep. I love this episode, Hamish. I'm so excited. It's something I've wanted to talk about for ages. And you know what? This relationship between booze and alcohol gets deeper. Just like with booze... When gambling, the brain releases a feel-good chemical, of course, dopamine, which we've done an episode on before. It's just like the buzz you get after that first cold schooner of beer. But as we all know, whether it's booze or gambling, if you do it often, your brain gets used to the dopamine, which makes that winning feeling difficult to achieve. Just like when you need more beers to get pissed, with gambling you're forever chasing the dragon, spending money to get money back and taking punts to reach that unreachable feeling again. For me, are you a big gambler? No. Never? I mean, I used to put a bet on the horses occasionally, but I never won anything. I, I know I know, as an addictive person that gambling is shaky ground for me, so I, would, I, I try and avoid it now. Because I used to... When it was done in the bookies... I would quite enjoy it. You give them cash and you might get cash back. Mm. Recently, I made a bet on uh, an online bet on the cricket, England to win. And it's not as exciting to place the bet. No. And actually, it's, and I won that bet mm. and it was really not excited to win the bet because you mm. just click withdraw and then your bank's got a little bit more money in. Yeah. So I actually missed the, like, the physical thing of picking up the money and seeing more money than you had before. Yeah. But obviously, online gambling makes it so much easier. I was in bed when I made that bet. And that is a slippery slope. Well, even you saying, like, you being excited to go and get the money, you can see how addictive course, that is, can't yeah. you? I can feel that in your words, the weightiness of it, Hamish. Mm. It's, it's quite scary. Yeah, so consequently, you either gamble more or you drink more to feel the same level of pleasure. The reason we wanted to do this episode today is because it's such an important topic to discuss and one that gets ignored. After all, we are a podcast about addiction, Hamish, even if we do talk a little bit too much about root vegetables and bottoms. No such thing. (laughs) Can't talk too much about root vegetables and bottoms. (laughs) Having an understanding of how other addictions work and their similarities might help you. The sober, awkward listener, reconsider your actions next time you are on a betting app. It might help you have empathy for others that are struggling 
and make you aware of all of the risks. Equally importantly, I think by educating ourselves about addiction more broadly, we not only better understand our relationship with alcohol, but we're also more empathetic for those addicted to anything else. So today we're going to hear how gambling affects lives, what needs to change, and question if alcohol and gambling are both addictions by design. Now, I can see you all rolling your eyes, thinking, what the bloody hell do Vic and Hamish know about this? And you would be correct in doing so. Yep, we know about as much or as little as you. We know that gambling is probably bad and we shouldn't do it, but that would be a very short and boring podcast. So today we've got an expert on. I saw Kate at the Rethink Addiction conference last year and by the end of her presentation, I'd gone through a whole packet of tissues. Her story as a mother myself was shocking, heartbreaking and incredibly moving. This is a story that needs to be heard. So press pause, go and put the kettle on, get a biscuit and settle in. Kate is a reform manager at Voices for Gambling. She's a passionate advocate for gambling reform here in Australia and uses her 12 years of experience in gambling harm to create positive change on every level, from influencing policies to changing the language around addiction. Her authenticity and vulnerability create a pathway for others to learn and connect, thus breaking down stigma and shame. This incredible mum of six has turned her adversity into a mission, and we are so happy to chat with her today. Welcome to the podcast, Kate Seselja. Okay, hi Kate, thank you so much for being on. I think the way we should do it is, could we start by you just telling your story, and we won't interrupt or butt in, and then if any questions come to us, then we can ask those at the end. Does that work for you? Sounds great. Lovely. I guess I never expected to be, you know, <laughs> doing what I do now because I never saw gambling coming. It wasn't something I ever discussed with my friends, family, you know, it wasn't something I was taught at school to be on the lookout for. So as an 18-year-old, when I walked into a club in Sydney, um, which is where I grew up. My boyfriend was playing the pokies and I sat down next to him, put $20 in and won a few hundred dollars. And I thought, oh my gosh, that was easy. Wow. It would take me this many hours to earn that at work. This is fun. And before it was on, you know, in my consciousness, I hadn't noticed just how prevalent pokies were in in my world. And once I had that experience, I began to notice it. Like when you buy a red car, you you notice red cars everywhere. Well, I noticed pokies everywhere, literally. I went as an 18-year-old girl. So they were in nightclubs that I went to, in pubs, in clubs. I'd inevitably leave the house um, thinking I was going to go catch up with friends and I'd hear the sounds. I would be reminded of that experience and be drawn over to use them over and over again. And it quickly went from being something that I did with my boyfriend to something that I was doing on my own, going through all of the money that I had access to at that point in time. And I look back at that time thinking, you know, I would go through my whole pay, my month's pay in an hour on payday. And had I not had the security of living at home with my mum and dad, I would have been in real trouble very quickly. 
you know, I, I didn't understand. I didn't have anything to draw on to understand what was happening with me at that point in time. So I kept just kind of justifying it as like, well, it's my money. I can do what I want with it. Not understanding the grip the addiction had on me because there was no talk of gambling harm. That that terminology didn't even exist back then. I was just left with my own confusion around what was happening to my mind and my body during those experiences. And I remember that first night, the guy came over with my cash clipped to a clipboard. And he said, wow, you're really good at this. Gave me my cash while I'm still sitting at the machine. And it was just that real kind of positive affirming of wow, I must be good at this. You know, if he's telling me, he he works here, he knows. So yeah, there were, there was just a lot at play that when I look back now, I have so much compassion for my 18-year-old self that I didn't have access to knowledge or, or understanding at that point in time. So that was the start. It had a brief hiatus while I left that relationship met my husband, married within a year, moved to Canberra and thought I'd left all that behind. And 18 months into our marriage, we were expecting our second child, building a home, running our own small business and living with my in-laws. And I went along to mother's group, which was at a club in Canberra and again, heard the sounds and was drawn back that stress that I was under and the access to to money I had at that point in time, that hope arose in me of, remember that time you put in $100 and you won 1000 Well, you could do that. You could build the house quicker. You know, we could get out of this situation, da-da-da. The hijacking of hope saw me go through $30,000 in a month of the money that we had aside to build the house. And that was the first moment at 23 that I contemplated taking my life. Over the next decade, then it was just a roller coaster of cycling in and out of it, thinking, I've got a handle on this, it's fine, to just literally picking up checks from my husband's people he worked for going to the bank, cashing them, going to a venue and blowing through four grand in minutes. So it was just hell. Uh, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And I didn't actually learn anything of value about what I was experiencing until 18 months after I almost took my life at 32. Yeah. So finally the answers started to come. But quite honestly, it was almost too late. The only reason I'm sitting here talking to you right now is I was pregnant with our sixth child the night that I just had no more words left. I had no more mental energy left. I was sick of being on the roller coaster of despair and hopelessness, just at my wit's end with everything and staring at that nil balance at the machine, thinking, I can't go home. I don't know what to do. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to be a mum. I don't deserve compassion. I'm just profoundly broken. And after about 100 phone calls, I finally answered my husband's call. 
And he just said, please just come home. He knew that moment that he was about to lose me and he chose compassion over judgment. And that just gave me enough hope to try and figure out how to keep being here. When I got home, I just wrote down everything that I'd been keeping from him and all the stress of the credit cards, you know, like they were, banks were in on it too. They were sending me credit cards in the mail, like just activate here, it's fine. They knew that I was accessing cash at venues and that all came out in the Royal Commission, but, you know. So there was $80,000 worth of credit card debt. Um, I'd accessed money straight out of our mortgage on my worst day, it was $12,000 and, um, yeah, I was I was done. But that morning after he read everything, he just said, can you please just try and come and see another counsellor again? And I just was so done with trying to ask for help. The first time I asked for help, I got told, just don't wear shoes. If you don't wear shoes, you won't be able to get into a venue, so you won't be able to gamble. Oh, God. And then I said, I wish... I had been addicted to drugs because there's rehabs. I need a rehab. And they said, there's no rehabs. And if there was, they'd be for men. So I was like, excellent. So I'm the only woman to struggle with this. Wonderful. I just felt so alone and so profoundly misunderstood. But my son actually urged me to go and see another counsellor because I said to him, you know, he's like, mum, mum, no one could find you. Like, where were you last night? I thought, I don't want to have this conversation. I kept it hidden from them. I'd I'd explicitly told my husband, if anyone ever finds out about this, I will kill myself. I felt so owned by the shame that had grown around me for over a decade. And I said to him, mate, he was 12 at the time, I've just made so many mistakes. I just don't know what to do. And he just said, Mom, everyone makes mistakes. So I thought, okay, wow. (laughs) Why did I think I wasn't allowed to? So he encouraged me, you know, and my husband took me to a new counsellor and she was amazing. (laughs) And... She just helped me to reconnect to me and probably for the first time. I don't think I ever had a chance to figure out who I was. You know, I just kind of went straight out of school into addiction, completely blindsided me. It was horrible. So that moment I remember she said to me, you've got to tell me what you like about you. And I just burst into tears. I was like, um, nope, <laughs> I can't think of anything. And she said, well, you've got to tell me 10 things. I said, can I list my children individually? <laughs> <laughs> she goes, no. And that process of thinking about what I actually liked about myself, the things that I had been doing well over those years that I'd actually denied myself of being worthy of having that praise. You know, anytime somebody 
paid me a compliment, told me I was a great mom or said how hospitable I was, I'd just go, yeah, but if you really knew me, you wouldn't say that. And that really stressed me out, you know, like not being able to feel fully seen, fully heard. So that was the beginning of me learning about me. And then I remember somebody came up to me and said, so how's your recovery going? And I just went, oof, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I'm just a regular person just like you and I've, you know, had an experience, but that's not who I am. It's what happened to me. And I thought, no, I'm going to step out of this shame that I carried around for 15 years. I'm going to own my story and be able to speak truth into this situation because nobody did that for me. You know, I had nobody to follow in that experience. There was nobody talking about gambling harm. There was only the industry language of problem gamblers. So, you know, gambling is a completely fine, fun activity and nobody gets harmed from it, but there's just a few people that can't control themselves and they're the problem. That's their narrative of making everybody focus on individuals and nobody focusing on how despicable the industry is. So I got curious with maybe it's not me that's profoundly broken. Maybe there's a really broken system here that needs some attention journey of curiosity led me to, you know, doing what I do now on a day-to-day basis. I've spent the last 10 years in advocacy trying to create gambling reform and help liberate other people from the grip of shame that was never theirs to bear. Kate, that is quite extraordinary. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's clear from your voice and from your face that those are not easy stories to revisit. Mm. go back and, and live that again so thank you for sharing it on for our benefit and the benefit of our of our listeners the time so you're 18 when that first bet was placed and what age were you when you went to that the counselor that really shifted things for you 32 32 okay so it's 14 years that it, it sort of had its grips on you what was the feeling like when you realized okay i have bet my last bet and i'm free from this i think when i realized that these machines were built to addict, that it, I was actually using them exactly how they were designed to be played. That was a real liberating moment of that. This is a dangerous product. Like it, it doesn't matter how much time and space I have away from this product, the outcome will still be the same. When I talk to people, I help frame it like, you know, imagine you eat bread, heaps and heaps and heaps and then all of a sudden you go oh you know what that just is not doing it for my body you know and you make a choice about your well-being and when there's the right context around it like oh okay gluten's not good for you then you can go right I can make an informed choice right now the Australian public isn't making informed choices around gambling because they're not given all the information it's been marketed as entertainment and the access that we have in this country is unprecedented. Nowhere in the world do people have this much access 
to gambling. It's meant to be a destination, short-term activity, not on every corner available 24-7 at the rate of play, at the maximum bets uh, that we have here in this country. So you can go through $6,000 in half an hour. Wow. I I like that you... I don't know if it's like you did consciously or subconsciously when you retell your story, is that you're telling us about the big losses. Because I feel like amongst friends, when you talk about betting, people only share their biggest win. I won five grand. Well, they won five grand. I should try to win five grand. You've not mm. talked about any of your wins other than that first bet you placed and you instead focused on your biggest losses, which I guess is like you're saying, it's it's the side that isn't shared. It's the side that you're not shown in the media. Very similar to alcohol. Well, we could yeah. be talking about alcohol, really, yeah. couldn't we? That all the bits that you see on TV and ads are the good bits and it's not the reality of it. How would you describe that term, addiction by design? Oh, that was the most liberating three words of my life. I remember when I first stepped into advocacy, I was still so naive about the level of knowledge that the industry had. I thought I gave them the benefit of doubt and I thought I will share my story because maybe they don't know how much harm it's is happening in our community. If everyone else is silent in shame like I was, then maybe they just don't know. And what I was met by in that first room was crossed arms by the industry, blank faces. They knew, they knew even in its most primitive state how addictive these products were and they allowed the exponential spread of them and concentration of them in poorer areas like bottle shops because they know they represent hope they represent a solution to pain. They are knowingly exploiting human vulnerabilities. There's no other way about it. This is an intentionally built machine that has the capacity to mentally hijack a human being until you pour everything that you have access to into it and you're left bewildered by the engagement. To explain one of the features, there are many, losses disguised as wins. So this is where you bet $5, the lights and sounds will go off like you've won. So it's registered in your brain that you've won, but it's only $3. It celebrates you losing $2 in a way that's registered in your brain as a win. Hmm. It's like Hamish was saying just before we got online with you, um, his favourite bit about buying a lottery ticket was planning the holiday if he was to win. Yes. It's a very, very similar thing at a lower level, but it's the same thing. It was giving you hope, so therefore you're prepared to spend the money of it because it makes you think about a holiday. So those two things, I'm prepared to lose five bucks on a ticket Mm. because it makes me happy and I get to think about what I could possibly spend even though I won't win. It's that illusion of hope and winning that I think it's the initial drawing but then there's no education and awareness around what that engage, you know, what happens when that engagement is activated. For me, uh, you know, I've just met thousands of people in the last ten years whose lives have been utterly ruined by the access and the ease at which you are relieved of your money without you even really being consciously aware of what's happening. I remember I got to the club, put in some money, won $6,000, 
within an hour, that was back to zero. Mm. And I couldn't pull myself away from it's the next press, it's the next press. It's like it's so hard to articulate if you have never experienced it. And I think that's why there's been a level of apathy in this country about what's going on because if you've not lived it, it's very hard for you to understand, you know, and it's easily brushed off. We'll just don't go. It's not, it's, simple it's not that simple. No. It's just not. One yeah. of the things that we're very lucky with is that the sobriety community is huge. It's available. The resources are there. People are waiting to meet you. They're excited to share their stories. Does that community exist for those that have struggled with gambling as well? You said the resources weren't really where they're at today, possibly when you gave up 10 years ago. Does it exist? Is there help out there? There is pockets of communities, um, yes, that that exist to support people, but it's nowhere near the level of resources to address the level of harm. Like we are the number one gambling nation in the world. We lose $25 billion a year. That's over 40% more than Singapore. So per adult population. So it's, that is mind blowing. When you think about, we've been number one now for a long time because both sides of government have been captured by industry and so there's been absolutely no political will to address it because if we were number one worst literacy, you know, you can imagine the resources that would be thrown at Mm. this problem. But for this problem, it actually gets budgeted to increase in each (laughs) budget that gets handed down as a tax revenue stream. So it's the government who are controlling this at the end of the day. Yeah, they they have been. They've been compliant in not adequately putting the well-being of consumers over the vested interests of the industry. It's plain and simple. And the warning signs, you know, they're so ridiculous, like gamble responsibly. Tell me what you think about that. Again, industry talk. If you watch the Four Corners episode, it's called High Stakes and it goes deep into the intentional controlling of the narrative, making it about personal responsibility. They went so far as to go and learn from the NRA in America. It's just mind-blowing how this level of greed and the destruction of community resources has just been allowed to happen for decades. And it just it broke my heart when I realised that that was what was happening. Uh, it was such a game changer for me as far as shifting that freedom from that shame that wasn't, wasn't mine. This, this had been happening before I was born yeah, and it's still happening now. You know, I had no idea that I was growing up in Sydney, which is the pokey capital of the world. Wow, yeah. If we could look into the future for a second, Kate, I feel as if Vic and I can shout and scream all day about the benefits of being sober and you know the downsides of alcohol, mm-hmm. but alcohol is not going anywhere in the same way gambling is probably not going anywhere. In an ideal scenario, what would gambling look like going forward in your eyes? Well, we're actually building momentum at the moment in this country of increased awareness of gambling harm. We're talking about it in a constructive way now, not a destructive way. We've moved away from the personal responsibility industry narrative of just gamble responsibly to 
this harm is happening right in front of our eyes and it is impacting everyone, whether you are conscious of it or not. If you have a small business that's near a venue, you're losing revenue because all of the community's resources are going to that club, not your small business. If there's an increased level of crime and an increased level of cash converters in your area, then guess what? Your goods are being pawned to go to gamble. So just to bury your head in the sand and say, you know, whatever, Australia's losing $25 billion. it's not happening to me, it is having an impact. You know, if I can wave a magic wand and make all of gambling disappear, is that solving a problem? No. And I don't judge anybody for their engagement with gambling, as I'm sure you don't, with, with drinking. It's more about I want people to be an informed collective rather than being captive to an industry that has just had all the systems designed by them for them and not about holding the consumer protection uh, and safeguards in place. So what we're working on is a national reform of all of the gambling regulatory environment to, you know, rewrite that so that it is with consumer protection in mind, not protecting the industry. But I think this speaks volumes. There's an increase in venues becoming pokey free. Now that's a venue-led initiative. That's not something that state governments are imposing. This is individual owners saying, you know what, I'm not comfortable with the level of harm that's happening in my community. So we're removing our machines and we're returning to the pub or the club that it was supposed to be about community connection and a social place that is safe for families. Yeah. And I think that, that that's something that, you know, I have no hand in, but it is speaking volumes to the level of action that when people become consciously aware of it, they can't unsee it. I mean, that's nice to hear that there's individuals making smart choices around it, which will affect a massive amount of people. I think once people become aware of the the whole environment, the numbers just don't add up any which way you slice it. So just here in Canberra, there's 40-odd clubs. They take $163 out of our community and they return 11. Mm. Gosh, yeah. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah. Like... How can you justify that? There's somebody um, with some very full pockets wandering around, aren't there? And a lot of people leaving gambling venues with very empty pockets. Yes. Well, that is not common knowledge is how they're getting away with that. Like that should be front page news and that is not. Yeah. It isn't. Yeah. You know, they've been able to, you know, further exploit their social licence by getting to brag about all the good things that, you know, we we – look after junior sport or we built this oval, we did this, we did that, without disclosing the level of harm Mm. that is caused. That to me is so despicable to intentionally exploit human beings for profit. Yeah. I I can never be okay with that, Yeah, you know. Well, I hope you continue never being okay with that, Kate. We really appreciate you and your story and and it's been so lovely to have a chat with you today. No, it's a pleasure. I think there's unfortunately that relationship or that expectation 
no, there's there's a false narrative that's been sold to Australians that gambling and drinking is part of our normal culture, but it is a plastic version of a culture that's designed by industry and pushed intentionally by industry to make it seem like it's normal. You know, learning alcohol was a carcinogen, you know, like it, it is literal poison. Yeah. Why, why are we sold that that's the normal path of an 18-year-old? Yeah. You know, just like gambling doesn't have to be the pathway that we take as Australians. I, I just think if we are informed, we can make informed choices. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that's awesome. an amazing point to end on, isn't it, Hamish? Yeah, that's cracking. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kate. That was lovely. Wow. What a story. A huge thanks to Kate for coming on and chatting about gambling today. I think you would agree, Hamish, we've learned so much from her story. I think having awareness of other addictions is something that comes naturally with sobriety, actually. You're more curious about your habits in society and the way people deal with trauma and pressure. Absolutely. And I also think you judge people less. Yeah. I think as soon as you sort of understand that actually addiction is one big subject and it's got lots of branches underneath it when not alcohol or gambling or anything really your phone well, there's plenty of addictions that we all have which are more every day i think there's less judgment there's more empathy and there's a, yeah. i feel as if I, we're all in this together it's not everyone's in their lane and my addiction is different to yours i feel like it's, it's quite community forming yes definitely and i have to say here i don't know whether you noticed this Hayne, when i moved to australia i did notice much more gambling here than i've experienced before in the advertising and just going taking the kids to the rsl and the pokies room all being like kind of this weird no man's land like yeah. get out of there children well i think it's it's different here right so almost every pub here has got what's called a pokies which is effectively the slots isn't it slot in a machine, separate room yeah. slot machines which literally they make all their money from as far as I know I think yeah. the pubs make very little on alcohol but make a fortune on the slots whereas in England obviously there are there are bookies so I actually think in England it's more visible a bit more controlled I would say well it's more just every fourth shop like if you live yeah. on a crap high street like the Streatham High Street where I do yeah. then every fourth or fifth shop is a bookies okay, so, so it's, it's more not in your then. face yeah. than right. necessarily just going into a pub I think right but I reckon people probably do it just as much here. I think the connection between booze and gambling here is unavoidable because yeah. every pub has got a place where you can gamble. So true. And also it's weird when you go into those places because they're always, there's no windows. Yeah. It's like casinos uh, in yeah. Las Vegas is they don't want you being able to know what time of day it is. And also, of course, you get free drinks a lot of the time. Absolutely. It's quite depressing, I think, the no windows and 24 hours of pouring your, your money into a machine. It, it, it scares me, quite honestly. I think gambling, like all addictions, should not be shrouded in shame. I think that's what we're learning here today. It's time to get talking about this topic, to be open and honest about it so others don't have to hide behind their addictions and they can seek the right support. So speak up, tell a friend, a therapist or your doctor that you think it's getting out of control, get help, then tell your story so others don't have to hide behind theirs. I want to end with a quote from Kate. She said, I thought that I had failed my children, but they didn't need a mother to model perfection they needed a mother to help them navigate the complexities of life and show them how to fight for people who need help. Gosh, amazing. You can contact Kate at the Alliance for Gambling Reform at www.agr.org.au and all her links will be in the show notes. 
We've got a couple of books I wanted to recommend today. The first one is called James. Do you want to do this one? I'm glad we're doing books. It would have felt slightly out of place to then go with a, yeah. a funny quote. Yeah. You know? <laughs> a disappointing affirmation. Yeah. Okay, so the first book that we've got is called Addiction by Design, and that is by Natasha Dal Shul. I hope I'm getting your name right, Natasha. So it takes readers into the intriguing world of machine gambling, an increasingly popular and absorbing form of play that blurs the lines between human human and machine, compulsion and control, risk and reward. I also think that is particularly important at the moment with the younger generations getting addicted to gaming. And it's not a big step from getting addicted to gaming to getting addicted to addictive gambling games like slot machines or casinos. Yes, even on Mario, you're collecting the coins and things, aren't you? Yeah, it's very, it's all those flashing lights. It's the same kind of thing. Their generation could be the gambling generation hopefully not not with people like Kate around no more Kates yeah (laughs) the other book is All Bets Are Off it's about losers liars and recovery from gambling addiction by Arnie Wexler it says Arnie Wexler's life as a gambler began on the streets of Brooklyn New York flipping cards shooting marbles and playing pinball machines there you go Hamish that's quite similar to the online stuff isn't it at age 14 he found the racetrack a bookie and started playing the stock market his obsession with gambling accelerated until a fateful day in 1968 when it all came crashing down. Ooh, intriguing. That is intriguing. I think it's important to remember everyone that's ever gambled, if, you, like, if you've never placed a bet, um, it's got to be, the stats must be mad. It must be like 99% of people end up losing more than they win oh, yeah. over the course of their life. Yes, yeah. you know, it's only the minuscule number that actually ever win more and it's probably from a lottery ticket yeah. rather than numerous bets over yeah. your life and I wonder if it's like I mean we could do a whole other podcast on this about people think that moderating their gambling like moderating their drinking is okay but that is an uncomfortable feeling you're still mm. obsessed with the drug as it were yeah. so yeah there's a whole other episode we'll have to do another time about moderating gambling and whether any sort of moderation is possible for anybody interesting yeah. way more similarities between gambling and booze than I thought before this episode yeah fascinating thank you so much Kate for telling us your story because I hope it will inspire so many people out there we usually end with a giggle Hamish come on do a little jig or something I can't jig I'm sitting (laughs) stand up Oh, he's doing it. Oh, there you go. He's doing like a... I'll send the video of this. He's doing like a sort of Michael Flatley legs legs dance. You You can probably hear it. Thanks for that, Hamish. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yeah, just head to www.cuppa.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it?
Hi there. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think every single one of you will benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by me, Julia Samuel. I'm a best-selling author and psychotherapist. I invite you into my therapy room where I speak to either a known or unknown guest. Topics range from the difficulties of divorce, a life-changing illness, to the struggles of motherhood. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? There's probably ones with moody, moody or, sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay, yes. Good, yes. Good. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. <laughs> You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now and the audiobook will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for 5 years. It will make you laugh, cry and cringe and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now to be honest Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. Yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. My teeny little wooden heart. Well, his, teeny little, his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. Come and get awkward with me. Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, now. go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Yeah. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another yeah, five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> 